Thank you so much for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, The Stressless Life. If you're joining us for the first time, let me be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Now go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. At Hope Church, one of the things that we value greatly is the teaching of the Word of God. Amen. I mean, when we gather in this place every weekend, our opinion as pastors is no greater than your opinion as listeners. What matters is what does the Word of God say? We all need to hear a fresh word from God when we gather together. Amen? So if you're a guest, normally right out of the gate, we jump to a text of Scripture and we spend the entirety of the message unpacking that text of Scripture. And, and don't, don't, don't miss me here. We are getting to a text of Scripture, all right? I'm not saying that to say we're not going to look at the Bible today. We are going to get to a text of Scripture. But I want to begin a little bit differently today. I want to begin by sharing with you part of my personal story. It's a testimony of some stuff that happened in my life. And a lot of you think, Pastor, some of you, we've been listening to you for over 20 years here now. We've heard just about every part. Matter of fact, we've heard more of your story at times than we want to hear. But, but what I'm going to share with you today, I've never shared publicly from the pulpit in the 21 years that God's allowed me to be pastor here at Hope. And I really want to take you back to a, a year in my life in 2013. 2013, our church was about 13 years old, and after 13 years of running hard, after the call of God on my life to birth this church in 2013, I collapsed. I hit a wall. Hadn't talked a lot about it before at Hope Church. I don't really know why I hadn't talked a lot about it. A lot of people have no idea that this even went on, because when it happened, God raised up some men in our fellowship, some on our staff team, some on our stewardship team. They came around me and basically did a hard reset on my life. And so you didn't really miss me much in the weekend. They let me preach some on the weekend, but for nine months, they pulled me out of everything else. They didn't let me lead a meeting. They didn't let me come to the office. They didn't let me travel. They didn't let me counsel anyone. For nine months, other than some preaching on the weekend in 2013, that was all that I did was focus on getting healthy. And when I say I hit a wall, I hit a wall. I went home from the office here one day and tried to have dinner with my family. And I remember sitting at that dinner and trying to process information as my family was talking. And I really couldn't process what was being said. So I thought I was just tired. Another week of working 60, 70 hours a week. I grew up in the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, pastors have this reputation, some of them, and it's an overgeneralization, but some of them are being a little bit lazy. And, and I had a chip on my shoulder that I was going to redefine that for the entire field that I represent. And so I came to Las Vegas, and I don't mind hard work. I, I would sometimes work 60, 70, 80 hours a week in the first 10, 12 years of our church plant. And church planting is like parenting a small child. It just demands a lot of time, a lot of attention, 
a lot of energy, and I got caught up in that. And so I just assumed that night as I'm sitting at dinner that it's just one of those weeks, 60, 70, 80 hours of work, and I'm just tired. And so I excused myself from the dinner table, said to my family, I'm going to go to bed early. I went upstairs, crawled into bed. What I didn't realize is I wouldn't wake up for eight days. I slept straight through for eight straight days. My wife would come, wake me up, try to get me to eat some food. I would decline the food, roll back over, go back to sleep. Lost a bunch of weight. Don't really, really recommend that strategy. Uh, and you look at me now and go, well, you seem to have gained. Yeah, I'm doing good now. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm better. All right. Uh, when I finally got out of that eight days of rest and sleep, uh, my wife made me go see my doctor, and I did. And what he diagnosed me with was basically a physical version of a mental breakdown. Bottom line is 13 years of running hard under the weight of the stress and the pressure of building a ministry like this and doing it in a way that was unhealthy, meaning rather than in oftentimes in moments of stress, tension, and anxiety, looking to the Lord for peace and strength, I often put it on my own shoulders and said, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to solve this. I can get through this. We can make it. Having done that for 13 years, my body finally said, enough is enough. Let me take you back a little bit, tell you how we got there. From the outside looking in, most people look at the story of Hope Church that started in my living room 20 years ago and go, this is a miracle of the Lord, and that is absolutely the truth. What we are a part of, and I want to encourage us, Hope, to never lose sight of the fact that what we're a part of is a miracle of God, and sometimes you can be so close to a miracle that you miss it. And We don't need to take for granted the special reality of what God has done in our midst as a fellowship. God has been good to us, amen? I'm going to give you another shot at that. God has been good to us. Amen. Listen, God's been good to us. We got a lot to celebrate and be thankful for. And when you look from the outside, man, it looks like just one giant kingdom win. I mean, thousands of people have come to Christ. The story of Papa Smurf that we just watched on video, we could tell that story over and over and over and over again about different people. We've seen a lot. As I look around the room, I'm catching the eyes of people whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. Not only that, we've multiplied churches up and down the West Coast. Now almost 80 churches exist in the Western United States that 20 years ago didn't exist because this church has been about sending people out and raising up planters. And then I look around our fellowship, 54 language groups represented in our church. Man, when you look at Hope Church, this is what heaven's going to look like. Amen? Like we're just getting a jump start on what it's going to look like. We've seen God do unbelievable things over, 30, over, over 21 years together. But here's what I want you to understand. For every mountaintop, there were valleys. We celebrate with you all of the, all of the mountaintops, but we don't always share with you all of the valleys. It's not the nature of the way you lead a ministry like this. There are times when we, 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 we have family meetings and we bring stuff in here and but there are other times when you just got to get through stuff. You got to navigate it. You got to lead through it. And sometimes being a pastor can be a very lonely place because some of what you know, you, there are confidentiality issues you just can't tell and you, you can't share with anybody else. There's stuff in people's lives that you're carrying. And, and, and so for every mountaintop, there was 
There were valleys that went with that. For example, we had, when we first surrendered to come to Las Vegas, I went and preached in dozens and dozens of churches, inviting them to partner with us out here in planting this church before we moved here. And in the process of that, God called 13 families from back east, from different states, four different states, to quit their jobs, sell their homes, and move to Las Vegas as missionaries to be a part of planting this church. Now, that's awesome. Amen. 13 families that would just sell out to pursue God's call on their lives to go plant a church in Las Vegas. The valley of that is every one of those families, I felt the weight of, man, they're coming out here because I asked them to come. Now, I know it was God. I know I should have said God called them. I didn't call them, and I should have lived there. But, man, when they got a job, I felt like I got a job. And when they got a house, I felt like I got a house. And that's why I used to tell people, you cannot be a church planner if you're allergic to cardboard. Because you're going to move more boxes than you've ever moved in your life. I was there when every one of those U-Hauls pulled into town and I unloaded every box with them. Because I felt like those people had laid everything on the line based on something God had given me. And I carried the weight of that in an unhealthy way. Rather than remembering those are God's kids, they're not my kids. That was his call. It wasn't my call to them. But I got a flesh too. And my flesh... That's not a good place to say amen. Don't say it there. But I got one too. <laughs> My flesh gets in the way. We started the church in our living room. And in our first 10 years, we met in nine different locations. We kept running out of space and losing locations. And it's one thing to find a new place for 25 people. It's something else to find a new place for 1,600 people. Like there's not a whole lot of people that go, we'd love to have your 1,600 people here tromping around every Sunday. When we opened back up for business on Monday morning, we had challenge after challenge after challenge. We had a moral collapse in the first seven years. One of the pastors that was my best friend for 17 years who moved here with me had a moral failing in his life. And we had to walk with him and his wife and his family to see reconciliation for them. We were always growing, so we're always adding more services <laughs> preaching more weekend opportunities. and After 10 years, we realized, man, we can't. We, we had some great days over at a facility over on Pebble. If you've ever driven by that little building over on, on Pebble Avenue, there's a, there's a building there that's got our logo on the side. You say, why, is that, why does that church have our logo? Because that used to be our building. And, but we outgrew it. We ran over 1,600 people a weekend in an 11,000-square-foot building with 200 parking spaces. I'm telling you, I think we did more pound for pound in a building than any church on the face of planet Earth. But we sold it, moved back to a high school to get this campus ready. Not knowing that in 2009, we opened the doors in the high school 2009, raising the millions of dollars that was necessary to build this campus, not knowing what was going to happen in 2009. And if you lived here, you know it was the economic collapse. In six months, we lost 30% of our church. I, I remember, I, I have a, we met at Silverado High School for four years. I still have a hard time driving by Silverado High School. Like it just something, I just... I struggle with it because I stood in that lobby every Sunday and family after family came up to me with tears and said, Pastor, we've lost everything. We're leaving Las Vegas. We're moving. We don't know where we're going or we're going to live with family. We got nothing left. And I just, every one, you just carried the weight of that. Even though we, we were there, we were still in the middle of doing this, so we had to press on, economic collapse or no, this was already in the works. 
So we're building this thing. No banks would loan money. We went the route of bonds because that's all you could do at that period of time in history. So we sold bonds. A lot of you in our church bought those bonds. We're about 90 days from moving in this campus. And our bond company that we chose and selected got sued for a product they sold 10 years ago, locked their doors, went out of business in a day. We had $3.5 million in draws left, 60 contractors still working on the site, now all of them without the ability to pay them and them threatening to sue us and walk off the job site with a 65% done building. We finally, by God's grace, get through that. We get on this campus, and if you were here, we moved in March of 2012, and three months later, Las Vegas experienced some rain. We had the 100-year flood, and this entire campus, when I got here, was underwater up to my mid-thigh. Well, you had flood insurance, right? We live in a desert. (laughs) No. You only have flood insurance in the desert if you're in a floodplain. We're not. So we didn't. Million dollars worth of damages three months into this brand new place that we scratched and clawed to get here. I'm telling you all that to say that led us to 2013. And in 2013, I hit the wall. And many times, rather than looking to the author and finisher of our faith and running to him, which is what I should have done, many times I yielded to the temptation of my flesh and threw it on my shoulders and said, all right, we got to get, we got to fix this. I'm a fixer what I do. Ask my wife. She don't like it. I'm a fixer. She just wants me to listen. I want to fix it. Like we can talk about it, but then let's fix it. Like that's why we're talking about it. No, I just want to talk about it so we can talk about it. No, I want to talk about it so we can fix it. I'm a fixer. So I share that story with you because we began a series last weekend called The Stressless Life. It's principles that I'm sharing with you from God's Word that I've also written into a book that I released a couple of weeks ago. And I'm sharing that story with you for this reason. The principles that I'm teaching you in this series are not the ramblings of a paid salesman. It's been eight years ago almost since I had that collapse. Am I now perfect and fixed? No, I'm not. But through that journey and that valley, God taught me another way to handle the stress, the tension, the anxiety, the pressures of life that has literally changed my life. And so what I'm sharing with you in this series and what I wrote in the book are not the ramblings of a paid salesman. They are the lessons learned of a satisfied customer who in my own walk with God have had to learn these things the hard way. And I want you to grab them too. Let me read you a quote from the book that I wrote. Here's what it says. The good news is that the presence of stress doesn't need to dominate your life. I hope that encourages you. Because, man, I look at a lot of people today, and that's, the, that's exactly what is dominating their life. 
stress, tension, anxiety, pressure. It doesn't need to dominate your life. Yes, we will all experience apprehension and anxiety. I'm not telling you I can eliminate all the challenges in life. We can't escape from stress. But we can respond to stressful situations in a way that allows us to enjoy life and not just endure it. In fact, we can live in a way that's defined not by anxiety and apprehension, but by the unshakable presence of God's indescribable if that's good news, say amen. amen. So last weekend, I asked and answered two questions. I'm going to review real quick because last weekend, we began looking at a passage of Scripture. We're going to stay in it this weekend, same passage of Scripture. Two questions last weekend. These, these messages are linked together, so you got to go back and watch if you weren't here last weekend. Question number one, what is stress? And I gave you this definition. Stress is fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. When there are those situations in my life that seem bigger than my resources to take care of it, that's when I often respond with stress, this fearful concern. And I distinguish between fearful concern and genuine concern. Let me show it to you. Genuine concern is a burden. We all have that. That expresses itself in dependence on God and says, what will he do? When those situations arise, rather than turning to myself, rather than putting it on my shoulder, I run to the Lord and say, God, you're in control. You're sovereign. You love me. You've got this. Lord, here's my burden. Now, God, what are you going to do to fix this? Fearful concern is stress, and it expresses itself in dependence on self. What am I going to do? Rather than running to him, stress is when I go, man, how am I going to do this? Now I'm up at night. I'm, I'm just laying awake. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm going to solve this. I've got to resolve this issue. I've got to find out how to meet this need. Jesus has offered us another way to handle the situations in our life. So last weekend, I gave you five reasons why you should not stress. I'm just going to put them up here. Just leave them up here. Stress is not pleasing to God. Go ahead and give me all five of them. I'm not even going to read them all. I'm just going to put them up there for sake of time. I gave you these last weekend. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back online and watch this message so that you can understand why stress should not be a part of our lives. So here's what I want to do this weekend. I kind of teased it last weekend, but I want to answer the third question. How do I keep stress out of my life? Anybody want to know that here today? How do I keep it out of my life? Well, difficult, stressful situations and circumstances are a part of the human experience. Our being stressed is a direct result of the fall that we experienced in humanity when sin entered the picture. Sin entered the picture and left the world with destruction and devastation in its wake. Part of that is this fearful concern that it's all up to us, that my life, my situation, my circumstance all rests on me. Now, some of us struggle with this more than others because all of us have different propensities in our flesh. That's why some people struggle in some areas of sin. Other people struggle in other areas of sin. But all of us struggle with sin. Amen? Get honest. Uh, if you didn't say amen, you struggle with lying. So you struggle with sin. <laughs> All of us struggle with sin. Amen? Hey, it's okay. You're in a good group here. We all struggle with it together. The difference is we all struggle with different propensities. Some of us struggle in one area. Others of us struggle in another area. All of us will deal with this flesh temptation to, to live stressed out versus enjoying God's peace. But some will struggle greater than others. But this is not unique to us as Christians. 
All human beings struggle with this issue of stress. And what's sad is, as human beings, we've tried to figure out our ways to handle it. So I looked up on on Google. I Googled how this question, how do I keep stress out of my life? Just to see what we've come up with. (laughs) You want a fun exercise. You go Google that this afternoon and just start reading some articles. I'm going to give you two examples. One of them is from the University of Colorado at Boulder. These are highly educated people. It's actually the law school of the University of Colorado at Boulder that wrote an article called 25 Quick Ways to Reduce Stress. I'm going to give you some examples. Here's some examples. Number one, breathe. Also suggested if you'd like to stay alive, right? Here's number two on their list. Listen to music. Here's number four on their list. I don't even know what that means. Find the sun. Like what? What? Here's the next one on their list. Oh, this is one of my favorites. Rub your feet over a gun. I'd like to see somebody doing all this at the same time, trying to breathe, listen to music, find the sun, and rub their feet on a golf ball. Here's another one that'll set you free. You never thought of this. Squeeze a stress ball. It took highly educated people to discover that. Number 15, this would be all right. Eat some chocolate. I can go with that. (laughs) Look at 18. Chew gum. Well, that means some of you right now are less stressed than others of us because you're chewing gum right now. An educational institution of higher learning put this article together and put it on the internet and signed their name to it. Can I be honest? I got stressed out reading that article. Here's another one. BuzzFeed came up with this article, 16 Little Ways to Keep Anxiety from Running Your Life. Now, this one has graphics with it. Now, this one's really detailed. You, you go online and listen. There's some stuff in some of these articles that I'm sure can help in some ways, but, but, but these were two of the examples on this list that they gave. I want you to look at this one. I'm going to show you the graphic. This is literally what it looks like on the website. Here's what it says. Imagine yourself taking off your anxiety glasses and giving yourself a break. What? Like, can you imagine? What are you talking about? I'm supposed to act, and the cat, are you kidding me? Here's the next one. Look at this one. This is is literally what they said. Schedule time for your anxiety. And they show you how on your iPhone to make the appointment so you can block out some time to stress out. I am so thankful that God in his word has given us a better way. Amen. Listen, there is a God in heaven who created life, which means he knows best how it's to be lived. And here's what I want you to know. That God has written you and me a love letter. To tell us how to get the most out of life. 
can we go there instead of Google to find out how to deal with it? Let's do it. Turn your Bible. I told you we're going to get here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, that's what we looked at last weekend. The whole sermon was just that phrase. Now we're going to look at the rest of it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Now, this is an important word, but. Do not be anxious about anything, but. That word but is a particle that denotes antithesis. It means I'm contrasting opposing ideas here. Paul says, yes, there are going to be situations in life that are difficult. Yes, there are going to be complicated circumstances in your life. Yes, there are going to be those circumstances that, that cause you to want to be anxious. And Paul says one option is you can just stress out. You can run to yourself. You can look to your own, own energy and strength and provision, and you can just be anxious. You can worry. You can stress out. But we talked last weekend about why that's so damaging for your life. But, he says, there's an alternative. There's another way to go about this. You do not have to live there. Well, what's the other way? Look what he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. There's the contrast. Anxiety, stress, or peace. Anybody here today like a little bit more peace? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me give you four musts out of these verses if you and I are going to remove stress and anxiety and worry from our lives. Here's the first one. I must know God. Hear what he said? And the peace of who? He didn't say the peace from God. He said the peace of God. In the Greek text, it communicates possession, meaning it's God's peace. It's not just a peace that God gives you. It's literally God's peace. It's who he is. It's the peace of God. I'm going to talk in the rest of this message to those of you that are already followers of Jesus about how you can, through your relationship with Jesus, apply these principles to your life and experience peace in place of stress. But I also know that there's some people in this room today that are not followers of Jesus. You're here because someone invited you. You're here because maybe you're stressed out and you said, I'm going to go to a church to see if they have the answers. Maybe you're here and you're tired of being tossed to and fro by what's going on in the world and you're just looking for some peace. Let me give you a spiritual reality. You cannot know the peace of God without knowing the God of peace. I'm going to shoot you as straight as I can shoot you. If you don't know God, the best you got is trying to find the sun while you rub your feet on a golf ball <laughs> and chew some gum. So I wish you God's best with that. I, I wish I was joking. Like, there is no solution other than God. Here's the deal. God made you 
to know you and to love you and to be known and loved by you. Meaning this, your reason for it. Why am I here? What is the reason for life on earth? Here it is, to know God. Everything else in life finds its meaning, purpose, value, and significance out of the overflow of a love relationship with God. And apart from a relationship with God, I'm not living, I'm just existing. And here's the sad reality. The Bible teaches us that because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God loved you so much that he didn't leave you there. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sin, rose again from the dead. So when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, we get to be reconciled with God by his grace. We get to be brought into a fellowship relationship with him. And we get to discover meaning, purpose, and value in life. But here's the deal. If you're stressed, if you're at your wit's end, if, if your life just seems like it's just a bunch of pieces in a bag that keep getting jumbled up and you don't know where to turn, I'm telling you, there's only one place to turn, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus will come to live inside of you, and he will begin to give you meaning, purpose, and value in life. Paul understood this. We didn't read it in the text I read for you. We read verses 6 and 7 in chapter 4 of Philippians. But if you skip down to verse number 11, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, not that I am speaking of being in need. Listen to what he says. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow. I don't want you to answer out loud, but can you say that? Hey, good, bad, up, down, mountaintop, valley. I've learned... Whatever situation, I'm content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, say this out loud, I underlined it for you. Uh-oh, there's a secret. What's the secret of, of, going, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need? Here's the secret, here it is. I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me. Paul learned in each and every circumstance, it's an invitation to run to the feet of Jesus, to tap into who he is, and let his peace and his strength sustain you. You see, it's not about the circumstances I'm in. It's about who's in me in the midst of the circumstances I'm in. And apart from Christ, you're on your own. Listen, apart from Christ, you're the best option you got. But I'm telling you, there's a better way. Listen to the way Henry Blackaby writes about it. He said, when Christ lives in you, he brings every divine resource with him. Did you hear that? When Jesus comes to live in you, all that God is comes to live inside of you. All of his power, all of his resource, all of his provision. That's what he said. Every time you face a need... You meet it with the presence of the crucified, risen, and triumphant Lord of the universe inhabiting you. Come on, that'll change the way you view that circumstance. First must, I, I must know God. If you don't know God today, here's the starting point. You've got to come give your life to Jesus. You'll never know peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Number two, I must live my life in constant fellowship with God. Once you know God, I must live my life in constant fellowship with God. Paul said... Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And this is where this is important because a lot of Christians would say, well, pastor, uh, I know God. 
I have a relationship with God, but I'm still struggling. I, I feel like my life is dominated by stress and by anxiety. Why is that? Because too many Christians exist and live their lives every day as though God did not. We've given our life to Jesus. We know we're going to go to heaven when we die, and that's what we're waiting on. We don't know how to live in between those two spiritually defining moments in our lives. Paul uses a word here. He uses the word prayer. It's the most generic word in the Bible that refers to talking with God. Paul says we're to pray about everything. You see it? In everything. You know what that word everything means in the Greek language? Everything. <laughs> but it's literally, it's nuanced in two ways. It means everything the whole. It means think about the totality of your life. Birth, education, college, where you're going to work, marriage, retirement, the big things. And, and sometimes as Christians, we're good on the big things. Like we'll take the big things to the Lord. But the word everything doesn't just mean the whole. It's not just that God cares about the large trajectory of your life, the big points where the rock hits the water as it skips across the surface. Everything also means every individual aspect. Meaning knowing the peace of God and the difficulties of life is discovered as I learn to live my life in constant fellowship with God. In the book, I said it this way. Living in fellowship with God means being aware of his presence in every moment of our lives. And not just being aware of his presence, but resting and abiding in his closeness and care. It means inviting God into every part of our day, not just by believing he's there, but by communicating with him, fellowshipping with him. I got my phone up here today, and like I'd encourage a lot of you do, I've got it on mute and I've got it on airplane mode. So you make that between you and the Lord. But I've already got mine there, all right? Anybody's phone rings now, they're going to be embarrassed. <laughs> Can't say I didn't warn you, all right? But I, I'm, I love my iPhone, and I love to use it, and I love to have apps on my phone. And one of the apps that I use quite frequently is the ESPN app. I'm a sports guy. I love sports, love keeping up with sports, love tracking sports. It's like my hobby. It's what I do. I love the numbers, the stats, the trades. The, I like all of it. So I love, love sports. So what I'll do is throughout the day, I did it a couple of times yesterday. I was checking the score of, of the, the UNLV Rebels game last night. I was watching something with my wife, but I was tracking that score. And the UNLV Rebels beat Colorado State last night. Amen. Let's go Rebels. So I'm watching that game last night. I'm tracking it on my phone. So I'll, I want to know what the score is. So I'll pick it up. I'll check the score. Then I'll close the app and I'll put it back down. Then I'll go about my business. I'm doing my thing. And then, oh, yeah, I want to check the night score. So I'm going over and I'm picking up my app and I'm checking the night score. And I'm seeing who's winning, seeing who's scoring, seeing how Jack Eichel's doing. So glad he's on the team now. I'll put the app down. I'll close it and I'll go back about my business. A lot of us treat God like an app. Oh, it's Sunday morning. Let me get that app open. I'm here, Lord. What do you want to say to me? Church is over. Close that app. Let me tell you, I know how you closed it because I watch how some of you leave the parking lot. <laughs> yep, you closed it. Pray to God the parking lot team never writes a book. Amen. It's, 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 it's Pastor Patrick and Pastor Gene, they, they got me connected in a small group. It's small group night. I better get that app out. I got it open, God. Here I am. It's small group time. 
That's me, Lord. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? God, here I am. Small group's over. Let's close that out. It's time to go to work. Let me just do my thing at work. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta pray in the morning before I go to work and read my Bible for a minute. Let me open my app. God, here I am. Okay, it's time to go to work. Here's what Paul is saying. God's not an app. We have a relationship with the God that is sovereignly in control of everything. And you and I have been invited into such an intimate level of conversation with him that throughout the day, we get to have constant conversation with the Father. I'm not saying when that moment of crisis comes up at work and you're tempted to be stressed out that you've got to run to a closet and lock the door and say, excuse me, I'll be right back. And what I'm saying is while you're listening to them, you're talking to him. And you're saying, Lord, this is bigger than me. I don't know how to resolve this conflict. I don't know how to meet this need. I don't even know how to provide the answer for this question. But God, you put me here and you do. So, Lord, they're, they're talking. I don't have the answer yet, but, God, I pray you'd give me wisdom. I pray you'd give me insight. And Paul says as we begin to live in constant fellowship with him, those moments that could be stress begin to become peace because God just assures us by his presence that I got this. I got this. It's okay. Here's my testimony. Everything in my life rises and falls on this principle. Here's what I mean by that. When I'm living this out in my life, I got the peace of God. And when I'm trying to do it on my own, I can emotionally run to some really dark places really quickly. I must be in constant fellowship with the Father. Number three, I must be honest with God about the cares and concerns of my life. Paul uses some other words in this text. He uses the word supplication and the word uh, request. Those are words that speak to urgent needs being made known. And I love the way he said it. He said, he said, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request. And here's the phrase, be made known. In the Greek language, it's in a, in a tense that describes this constant inviting of God into the very details of my life. I'm constantly being honest with God. I'm constantly saying, Lord, here's the need. Here's what's on my heart. Talk to your Father. Talk honestly. It's okay to tell God you're angry. Hey, it's not like he don't know. It's okay to tell God you don't understand this situation. That's what supplication and requests mean. It's, it's taking those needs to God, those points where I'm in desperation and saying, God, here it is. I need you. Here's another spiritual reality. Trusting God at all times doesn't mean you can't be honest with God about all things. You can shoot him straight. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 62. He said, trust in him at all times, O people. But I love how he followed it up. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That, that phrase, pour out your heart in the Hebrew language, it's like taking a vase that is full of water and turning it upside down till everything runs out. You know what you do when you do that? And you make a mess, right? It is okay in the midst of the mess of this life to run to your father and just pour everything out. It's okay to run to him, fall at his feet and dump it in his lap. 
That's what he's invited us into. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, turn the vessel of your soul upside down in his secret presence and let your inmost thoughts, desires, sorrows, and sins be poured out like water. Hide nothing from him, for you can hide nothing. If you and I are going to experience peace, we've got to know God. We've got to live in constant fellowship with God. We've got to be honest with God about what's going on on the inside. And here's the fourth. This is one that's a little tough. i got to be intentional about thanking God. Especially in the midst of stressful situations that tempt me to be anxious. And everything, by prayer and supplication, don't miss this, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, Paul is writing in a context when the temptation is to be anxious, to be stressed out. Why? Because the need seems bigger than what I can do to supply it. And Paul says, here's what you don't do. Don't do that. Run to the Father. Run to Him. Invite Him into the conversation. Have constant fellowship with Him. Be honest with Him. And then here's what he said to do. Thank him. Mm. Pastor, I don't, I don't feel very thankful right now. Because the circumstance and the situation are not that which I am grateful for. Let me give you one last spiritual reality. Look at this. Every struggle you encounter in life is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. So here's what you're doing. You're not thanking him for the difficulty. You're thanking him for what you're about to see him do in the midst of the difficulty. Because here's the deal. He's faithful. Now, if I try to do it on my own, guess what? He's going to let me. But if I'll bring it to him, here's what he's promised. I will take care of you. I will take care of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never take a day off. He will never sleep. He will never slumber. He will never go on vacation. In every moment you have need, God is faithful. And he's ever, if he's ever unfaithful, he's not God. Because he said God is faithful. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, said it this way, feelings follow faith. Thus, thankfulness is the result of thanksgiving. Don't miss that. Thankfulness is the result of thanksgiving. And worry and genuine thankfulness cannot abide in the same heart. So, there's your four musts. Now, here's the promise. Put verse 7 back up here. When you know God, practice constant conversation with the Father. You get honest with Him. And you're grateful. God, thank you for what you're about to do. Look what he says. <laughs> and the peace of God. That you can't even explain. It's a peace I shouldn't have. I mean, look what's going on. Peace of God, which surpasses all. It's bigger than my understanding. I can't explain. How do you have? I don't know. It's just God. 
not only will it give me that today, look what it says. It will also guard your heart and mind. There's a future tense verb. Because guess what? When I've seen him be faithful today, guess what that gives me? That gives me confidence that I'm going to see him be faithful tomorrow. And that gives me more confidence that I'm going to see him be faithful the next day. And when those days begin to build up, guess what? You now have a mountain of the faithfulness of God in your life that when you face those circumstances, you're able to run to the mountain of God's faithfulness with confidence and know he's got this. He's got this. Do not be anxious about anything everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that is the promise of God for us let's pray father in the name of Jesus I pray as only you can you would take these truths and apply them to our lives today Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in these moments. May your Holy Spirit bring conviction. As you sit there praying with your heads bowed before the Lord, here's what's about to happen. We're about to stand and sing a song of worship. It's not a time to slip out early. It's a time to respond to what God has said. We're going to have pastors. They're going to come now. They're going to be here all along the front to respond as God put it in your heart. These pastors are here ready to help you to navigate this. First of all, do you know God? If you're here today and you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with God, here's what I want you to do. As soon as I say stand in a moment, as a matter of fact, you don't even have to wait. You can do it right now if you want to. But as soon as I say stand, you come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. If you forget that, just stand here. They'll know why you've come. And we'll have somebody sit down with a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God today. You can take step one to enjoying the peace of God in your life. But you got to come. you got to respond. you got to receive Christ. When we stand, you come to one of these pastors and say, I need God. Second, if you're already a Christian, are you practicing constant fellowship with the Father? Are you treating God like an app? Maybe what needs to happen for some of you is as soon as we stand, you need to come and get in one of these altars and just get alone with God and just say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own and make a fresh surrender to him, to inviting him into every moment of your life. And I think for some of you, you can do it in your seat and you can turn your seat into an altar. But I think for some of you, there needs to be a defining moment when you come get in this altar and you just say, Lord, it's yours. I'm not carrying it anymore. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to leave it right here today. Third, maybe you're inviting God into your life through fellowship, but you're not being honest with God. You're not sharing the concerns, the burdens, the real cares of your heart. He says, cast all of your cares on him because he cares about you. And for others of you today, maybe it's an issue of gratitude. Maybe you need to come get in this altar today and say, God, it's a mess. I hate it. I hate what it's doing to me on the inside. But, Lord, I know you're sovereign. And here's what I'm going to do today, God. I don't like it, but I'm going to thank you for it. By faith. Knowing that you're about to do something because it's who you are. It's what you do. 
Maybe you need to come get in this altar and just thank God for something right now in your life that's difficult, uncomfortable, challenging, but he's going to use it for your good and his glory. How do I know that? Because that's what he said. He always does what he said. Or maybe you just want to come pray with the pastor about one of these burdens that are in your life, and we'd be honored to pray with you today. God, have your way. Lord, may people respond as you speak. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.